hi there, friends and family. This is your something. I don't know. I don't know when what month this is going to be released in. But this is the latest episode of Certified Forgotten. You are here with my buddy, Matt Donato, and I. We have sold our soul to the devil to create the perfect podcast. And uh, this is what you're listening to. Matt, how you doing, friend? Uh, the sky is yellow, and it's probably going to be orange tomorrow. So it's fine. Yeah, this is uh, this is September 10th. Um, for those of you that, that I, there's probably somebody out there that's like, their jokes don't make sense. Why is this releasing in November? But it says September. So it's September 10th is when we're recording this. Um, and the world is literally on fire. Sometimes we say it metaphorically, but we mean it literally this time. So that's fun. I like to use these uh, intros as like a time capsule for when we listen back. And hopefully <laughs> go, Wow. Re- remember that? Like that was the yeah. craziest thing two months ago. That's how I'm, I'm hoping. It's the most boring, like three seven week time capsule that we could ever think of. But as, as a reminder, this is the podcast where we talk about films that have five or fewer reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. We dig through some of the greatest discovered and undiscovered horror films, underappreciated and undiscovered. And every week we bring in an awesome guest who digs through their undiscovered loves and has us watch something that, uh, that, that, that means something to them, something personal to them. So Donato, can I have you introduce this week's rocking guest, please? Yeah, I'm super stoked because we get to talk heavy metal horror with a heavy metal horror enthusiast extraordinaire. We have Miss Brianna Whipple, who runs Heavy Horror. Brianna, let Hi. us let us know. <laughs> what do you want to know? <laughs> did I say your name right? How how how'd I do? No, that's good. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's the thing. Yeah. Pod- podcast over. Yeah, that's Welcome. it. <laughs> um, no, I uh, I started Heavy Horror because I have been passionate about heavy metal horror movies my whole life. And the two are fairly connected, even when you wouldn't expect them to be. So I kind of built a brand on that. And uh, yeah, I just occupy a dark little corner of the internet and I write about things that a handful of people care about. So it is like one of my favorite subgenres, though. So I, I am very happy that someone has picked up that torch and said, I will guide you into the netherworld of heavy metal horror. Totally. And there's so much like I've talked about this with a few of my friends because we're all dirtbags and like something can have metal magic without necessarily being metal. Like if you listen to like ABBA, like voulez-vous, that's metal. Like, I don't care, you know, disco, whatever. Like if it slaps, it slaps, you know, a lot of good stuff out there. <laughs> Kiss did disco. Like it, it can yeah, happen. totally. And that is a great record and I will die on that hill. So <laughs> Monica, I'll, I'll let you take over. Otherwise I'm just going to keep talking about (laughs) metal and horror sorry go well i was gonna say you know normally we ask our guests like oh how did you get your start in horror and i do want to ask that but brana i'm gonna ask you a different question how did you get your start in metal like what what was your what was your music upbringing and where did you learn your love of of all things big hair okay so this is actually kind of a tragic tale um i remember being three years old and my dad's a headbanger and uh he used to just watch like we have much music up in Canada. I'm Canadian, by the way. Um, and they, I guess it would have been like a throwback kind of thing. But I remember sitting in the basement. He's watching music videos. And it was the Hot for Teacher video came on. I saw David Lee Roth. And I was just like, oh, my God, that is the most beautiful man I've ever seen in my life. It was like Wayne's World, like Dreamweaver moment, which probably set me up for failure. But I digress. Uh, and then Iron Maiden's Number of the Beast was the other video. So I was hooked basically immediately. I just thought that's what music was. This was like the late 90s. When I started going to public school, it like reality slapped me in the face. You know, like the glory days of heavy metal was over. So I had to carry that torch by my lonesome. And it was tough, but I did it and I'm still doing it. So... Well, it was, wasn't it one of those things though, where like, you know, going through that experience at the time was hard, but you came out on the other end and like, you were cool again, right? Like that, one of those things where like, when, when you are somebody who is so passionate about, you know, not a niche then, but niche now when some slice of culture, like if you can maintain that into your twenties, then you meet people that are like you and they're like, holy shit, you love this. I love this. And you're like, oh, like I'm a God among like this group of people that are all gods to each other. 
Totally. Like, I feel like I've earned some badges because, like, heavy metal when I was in school was not cool. Like, I got bullied pretty damn bad. Like, you watch Trick or Treat since we're talking about, like, heavy metal horror movies, how Ragman, like, gets bullied constantly because he's a long-haired weirdo. That was me. So the fact that I wasn't like, okay, like, I'm going to throw out all my records just so people will be nice to me. Like, I feel like... You know, I've earned the respect that I typically get, you know, that sounds, but I don't know because I was a musical theater (laughs) kid in high school and it's like just oodles and caboodles of respect there. Like everybody just walks around when you're listening to rent in like 2000 and they're like, yeah, man, you got life figured out. I'm like, I know I don't judge. (laughs) Well, that's like on on my side, I a hundred percent felt a bit bullied out of metal by my friend group um i started early enough kind of like in middle school and whatnot watching mtv uh, headbangers ball i don't know if that translated to canada or not mm-hmm. yeah so like that was where i started to kind of discover it you know I, I discovered the 80s and the 70s stuff later on in my life so like we're probably talking like late 90s early 2000s so like my discovery was later but as I was like, you know, coming up in middle school and stuff like that, I started listening to like System of a Down and things like more new metal. Mm-hmm. And my friends like totally ragged on me 24-7, just like, why would you listen to this stuff? You can't understand what they're saying. And like they only listened to like, I want to say they still listened to pop at the time and things of that nature. So I didn't like any of that stuff, but I stopped openly listening to the things that I am now just like define me like all like metal is my one genre that I just rely on for everything and it's evolved over the years and things of that nature but talking about number of the beast that one of my go-tos and forever one of my go-tos is that song just for the quintessential like quote-unquote hair metal but that that fucking song just rips mm-hmm. yeah no it's like it's something special and people do totally try bullying you out of it like when I was in middle school uh a bunch of like jockey kids used to think that they were insulting me by calling me Megadeth because I just wore a Megadeth shirt all the time I'm like that's cool that doesn't bother me like <laughs> you're like that's rad that's the best nickname you could have totally yeah yeah when you were sometimes I think back in the stuff that people used to say to me and I'm like, if I just leaned into that, I would have had stuff figured out so much earlier, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. It took me until like 25 to figure out who I was. <laughs> and like, no, I, no, like I, I'm not even talking about that. I'm like the insults they would give. If I just like appropriated those insults, I would have ended oh up where God. I ended up anyways. And so right, yeah, I'm like, it's I just, like, wait, I, yeah, like, Oh dude, what a geek. I'm like, yes, yes. I collect board games. Thank you. I they did the work for me. Why didn't exactly. I just leave They knew it? who I was before I knew who I was. Oh my God. Are bullies actually helpful? I think they might be. I got called trashy once. Like the first time I ever got called trashy, it really hurt my feelings. And then I thought long and hard about it. I'm like, you know what? I am trashy. And now that's my brand. So (laughs) I was going to say my taste in movies is often called a dumpster fire. And now that's just who I am. And I'm like, yeah, this is great. No, I, I, I own this now. This is awesome. Totally. Bullies are so helpful. (laughs) <laughs> and, and speaking of Matt Donato's dumpster fire tastes, um, let's talk about horror again. So Brianna, we got the medal. Um, did horror come before or did horror come afterwards? Was it something where, where you kind of, you were like, I'm already kind of deciding I'm leaning towards this counterculture thing. I'm just going to go all the way. Or did, was there a lot of commonalities between the music and the medium that you were like, this is what I want. That's the thing. It was always kind of, present in my life and that's why like I have a hard time pinpointing what the first horror movie was for me because it was just always like a natural part of my life um Mm. I remember one of my first instances I was like obsessed with Ghostbusters I hadn't seen it once again I was three years old and my uncle was babysitting me he looked like he was straight out of Pantera like long hair ponytail he's like well what do you want to watch we'll go to every like video store in town we'll find it and I want to watch Ghostbusters we had to go to three separate places and we finally found it and just me tiny with my little glasses on sitting in the living room everything's dark that library scene oh my god it like scared the daylights out of me and it was peculiar because I was scared but it was like a good feeling you know and I think that's when I knew like 
obviously at three years old, I wasn't like, Oh, I'm a horror fan, but you know, mm. you just look back and you get that feeling. And I remember getting that feeling again when I watched arachnophobia terrified me cause I'm not a big fan of spiders, but, uh, yeah, that was another one when I was really young. And then I bullied my mother into letting me watch The Exorcist when I was like, I think I was like eight or nine. Bad call. <laughs> but yeah, it was just always a part of my life. I just always wanted to watch like any and every horror movie I could get my hands on. So, you know, we talk. On the show a lot, we talk a lot about horror comedies because I'm I'm usually not great with them, and Donato definitely is. But it's funny to me, the first two films that you mentioned, both Ghostbusters and Arachnophobia, are horror comedies. Is there is there something to like the music video like horror comedy thing that makes those two a more natural leap? Do you find yourself gravitating more? Because spoiler alert, like Shock and Dead is very much a, a <laughs> horror comedy. We're gonna talk about that in its due time. But, you know, that to me, I think of that, maybe there's a, a little bit of a through line there. That's possible. I think with me, I just like to have fun all the time, which might sound like silly, but like my intake of like music, movies was always a break from reality. I didn't have the best childhood. So that was kind of just my breakaway. So naturally, if you want to indulge in something, you want to feel good. So I just like like having fun I like upbeat stuff you know just like having a good time I guess I don't really know how else to put it but I've never really I, thought I, about that before <laughs> yeah no I think there's also a connection with like adrenaline as well because when I listen to metal um a lot of people list the kind of genres they listen to when they're trying to relax and it's always that waves crashing kind of just like low vibes music and at work one time someone kind of like pulled my headphones out as I was like listening to my chill work music. And it was just like kill switch blasting on like loud. And it was like during like a really crunchy riff. And there's like, this is what calms you down. And I'm kind of like, yeah, I like really like the adrenaline rush and that kind of calms me down. And I, I think that's kind of horror too, in a way where talking about the Ghostbusters thing, I, I had the same reaction as a kid. I still haven't watched Arachnophobia. It's the only one I haven't watched because I am like averse to spiders and it's, I know I will love it. I know it's a horror comedy and it will be my shit. Mm -hmm. I just don't want to fuck with those spiders. But even ingrained in that, I will watch it eventually because I want to chase that adrenaline. I want to chase that high in a way of like watching horror and metal or listening to metal. You know, it's the same kind of emotional reaction for me, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And it's good vibes to go off of what Brianna was saying. Like, you know, the horror comedy and metal, it's, it's good vibes. It's not bad vibes. You know, you, you aren't going to find a lot of horror comedies that at the end you're like, oh, that was super depressing. Totally. And that's why I've always had issues with like, well, I shouldn't say that because I have friends that like love black metal and stuff, which is fine. I like some black metal, but like I've had a lot of black metal people like rib on me because I look like I like hair metal. I have giant blonde hair. I wear spandex pants, the whole thing. And they're like, oh, that's so lame. I'm like, you guys are sad all the time. <laughs> I would rather hang out with me. Like, it's cool, but whatever. No, I, was, I totally agree. One of my favorite <laughs> things was introducing one of my friends. And she was like 32, 33 at the time when I was like, I lived in uh, Greenpoint, Brooklyn, and I had a metal bar literally a few blocks down from me. And I got her listening to metal. She had, you know, a childhood that was very structured and rigid and she didn't really break out into honestly like drinking or anything outside the norm until her thirties. Mm -hmm. So like 32, I'm like, dude, we're going to listen to metal. And she got really into headbanging and that kind of hair metal experience where, yeah, I don't want to be sad at a concert like that doom metal and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. sludgy kind of metal. It's not my go-to vibe. So I started bringing her, to this bar, St. Vitus, which is just like a chapel in Brooklyn for uh, metal. And getting her headbang for the first time and just letting go was one of the funniest experiences for me to watch because she was just full windmill. But like afterwards, she was like, that was so much fun and that felt so good to the point where she would start going to that bar on the weekdays just to see whoever was playing at headbang and she wouldn't even tell me. She was like, oh, I went to St. Vitus last night. I'm like, I live down the block and you go more than I do. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, it's fun. Like, I don't do the whole headbanging thing. I like to high kick because I'm terrible. 
but yeah the more drunk i get the more i high kick because i just channel david lee roth so yeah the next day on top of my hangover my legs always hurt really bad but it's always a good time so i mean it's a workout at least you get some exercise in it at the yeah. same time totally yeah i've paid money for little videos that teach me to do what you just do naturally when you're drunk <laughs> yeah definitely all right then before we talk about this film um let's talk about the last question then is let's talk about kind of how you transition that into writing. So, you know, the question I usually ask is when did you realize you had a, a voice that you wanted to share on this kind of stuff? Obviously you knew that from the very beginning that like metal and, and horror was your jam, but like, when did you start? Like, when did you start creating as opposed to just intaking? When did you find yourself being like, you know, I got to go, I have something to say about this thing. I got to go find an audience. I got to write for them. I want to make sure that my perspective is put down somewhere. Well, I think my friends were just sick of listening to me talk. <laughs> so like I started dipping my toes into journalism seven years ago. Cause I hadn't even considered it. I've always liked writing, but I had a friend that was an editor at a magazine here called beetroot. And uh, they were looking for writers and I was like, Oh man, like I could try that. And I did. The first thing I did was a uh, retrospective on people under the stairs. And uh, I was like, oh, I'm not good at this. You know, whatever. I'm just going to like put some stuff on paper and see how it goes. But it was so well received that I kind of looked at it. I'm like, oh, I'm actually not bad at something, you know, and I just kind of figured out that this was something I was decent at. So I decided to pursue it. And it just kind of evolved over time. I got sick of, well, I shouldn't say I got sick of writing for other people because I do like writing for other people, but there's something to be said when you're in complete control of your content. Like my first thing that I published on heavy horror was about showgirls. Like what horror publication is going to let me do that? You know? Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I just wanted a place where I could write about things that I enjoy and I suppose that's it. First of all, a uh, shout out DJ Beatroot. As soon as you said that, I was like, yeah. Um, <laughs> everyone go watch Get Duked on Amazon Prime. Get Duked is so good. Um, <laughs> second of all, so, you know, you're writing probably with films like Shock Em Dead, you're writing about some stuff that that isn't really, you know, it does fall in that kind of like gap area, right? Because it's genre stuff, but it's kind of silly. So people aren't necessarily going to, you know, the genre crowd doesn't want to write about it necessarily. Music crowd doesn't want to necessarily write about it. So like, what has the experience been like of basically having this little corner of film and the internet to yourself? I love it. Cause it's just where I put like how my brain works. Like, I don't know. I've written about really dumb movies. Like after the last Rambo movie came out last blood, I wrote about staying alive which is the sequel to Saturday Night Fever that nobody knows Stallone directed. <laughs> so it's just like, it's cool that I can put all these like garbage movies that I love so much on a pedestal because I put them out there and people are like, oh my God, I didn't know this existed. I will check this out, you know? So it's just nice being able to like share some of my like specific brand of nerdiness with people who may not have been aware of certain films, I suppose. Yeah, I think that comes along with as I say this out loud, obviously, whatever, but as I find more success, quote unquote, whatever that is, quote unquote, I am forced to write about things that maybe I don't love as much where the, I, it feels like the less I get paid to do something, the more I, freedom I have and the more I can write about whatever it is mm -hmm. versus when I start taking these other gigs and I start writing more pieces that are handed down to me, I guess I would say, versus what I can do. You know, there are things that it's work at that point. It's work. It's a subject I have to write about and research. And it's something that it's like, all right, I just have to sit down and do this versus when I was writing my own blog and why I was doing it. Like, I just had more freedom. And sometimes I have that thought of like, you know, like what, what means more that I'm getting paid to write something that's sure. Okay, fine. I can do this or writing on my blog about that. Like you said, that random fucking horror movie that no one is talking about, but it's like, yo, I saw this movie. I'm championing it now. I don't care that it's not a major site. You just need to see this shit. Totally. Like, it's all about balance. Like, because you do need to get paid. So, like, 
Yeah, but there's a difference between stuff you watch for work and stuff you watch for fun. You know, like it doesn't matter. Like being a film critic is a great job. I do really enjoy it, but it's still work. You know, sometimes I'll put off screeners for like way too long because I just know it's work. Even if I know I'm going to like something, I still put it off because that's how my brain works. I'm like, oh, this is actual work, you know, so it's just nice being able to have fun with writing, you know, when you do so much of it, but yeah. Yeah. And I also, well, I was going to say too, like really quick, I just hate that connotation of like, Oh, it's just a blog versus like, Oh, well I write for a prestigious website where it's, I don't think that means much. I I think great. If you want to take those jobs and, you know, get paid to do the big time stuff and be tied to tent poles and popular topics. Sure. That's fine. And I do it sometimes. Yeah, of course, because if I'm interested in it, it's easy to do. But man, like I don't I hate when people discredit the smaller sites because oh well they're just a blog writing writing about whatever they want. Like why should we care that much? It's like because they're run on passion, because they're literally writing about everything they want to write about just for fun because they love it. Like mm-hmm. I, I just wish there was a better marriage of both of those kind of mindsets. Totally. And those are the kind of writers I like a lot. Like I love people that are fueled by passion because I find that like horror and heavy metal, they have the most passionate fans. So like one of my biggest pet peeves is when people that don't like horror try to cover horror because that hatred always bleeds through. And it's like, you could have let somebody else do this, you know, like it drives me nuts. I mean, the reason we kind of started this podcast is literally because we look at, we looked at Rotten Tomatoes for a while and we're like, Oh, the critics there are ignoring horror or they're shitting on it completely. Like there was a long time where no horror critics were actually on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and one of the nice things too, I mean, before we talk about the film, I, I love I love sites that are, you, know, you can call them whatever you want. You can call them like microsites or smaller sites or self-run sites, self-published, all of those things. The sites that are basically covering the kind of things they want to cover, those are absolutely essential to expanding the canon too. There was nobody in like 1998 that was sitting there looking at something like an event horizon and saying, you know, this movie, this is great. Like this is a hundred percent my shit. There was, there wasn't a lot of um, like cultural coverage of it, but you think of that now. So like I grew up thinking movies like event horizon and ravenous. I was like, Oh, I'm so look at how crazy in India I am. I like these movies. And then you get to a point and you're like, Oh shit, everybody loves these films. Cause they're really good horror films, but you have to have, you like that recanonization of a lot of those titles. Like it starts with those smaller sites being like, I fucking love event horizon. And then the people that write for there, you know, share their love with other sites. And eventually you do get the bigger sites that are like, let's do our 25th anniversary retrospective of Paul W.S. Anderson's event horizon. But like it starts with the smaller sites. It starts with the genre sites. Those are the ones that are basically taking the movies that everybody looked over from 10, 20 years ago and saying, I fucking love these movies. And when you do that, you know, that's how you start to build out the more of a horror canon. That's how people are like, oh, this movie that I grew up loving that nobody ever talked about. So I thought it wasn't good. Like now I want to talk about it because everybody kind of thinks like, oh, yeah, that movie was all right. Totally. Correct. I'm correct. Mm-hmm. Did, did you hear that? Did you hear that? I am choosing to ignore it. Oh, darn it. All right. Well, if we're in the business here of repurposing 1990s movies for the new established canon of VHS horror, then I think it's going to bring us to today's film. So uh, we will be right back. And when we come back, let's get ready to rock. Uh, Well, I wish you could have heard the really frustrating sound cue that Donato just played to kick off this segment, but you you never will. That means it's going to live rent free in my head for the rest of my days but but hello friends uh it's that it's that time in the podcast episode where we're going to share some insightful comments from some of our favorite fans so uh you know donato what uh, what kind of what are we talking about this week what do people have to, to have to say through us so the first thing that I'm going to say is, number one, you never should have given me control of the soundboard, which mm-hmm. I don't know why I don't use enough of. I think I need to start using that more. It's going to be really nice when the audio from the bumper plays and meshes with the audio from that charge thing, and it just creates like a nightmare clashing sound effect. It's going to be terrible. But let's go to our Patreon people, because they have less terrible things to say. Number one, being of all, Amelia, who we've had on the podcast before. The only way to be sure your vote doesn't matter is to not cast one at all. 
Check your registration, vote early, and in person if you can, and wear a fucking mask. So can I take a detour, Donato? Actually, can we can we talk about that for a sec? Because I think that's a really cool statement by Amelia. And I want to ask you, how do you prepare to vote? Like, what do you do to make sure you know what the local propositions are and city council members and stuff? How do you look that up? So Los Angeles sent out these very helpful little packets that were basically like, so you're going to vote. Let's take a look at everything and see how you fall. And it had a lot of information. It had a lot of things that I could research without even going online or anywhere. It's just right in this packet. So it, it was pretty... I, Pretty simple in a way, I would say. I am honestly still waiting for my ballot because mm -hmm. I moved here. I was not registered. I registered a little later than I wanted to. So still waiting for the ballot. But yeah, the process was not horrible. I'm not going to vote in person just because California is a disaster for this kind of stuff still. But I will be voting through the mail. Nice. Um, I, as, a, as an Austin, Texas voter, um, you know, I use the Austin Chronicle, which is I think it was described recently by someone I follow on Twitter as a left-leaning uh, weekly mag, which is probably, you know, leaning is probably doing a lot of heavy work there. It's a flat-out left magazine. God bless it. I love it. That's why I write for it. Um, but they have a really good breakdown, as they do during every election, of the issues. They provide their endorsements as well as, you know, candidates that they might not endorse. But basically, if they're like, if you're excited about this person, if you want to vote for this person, they're good at this and you should feel good about it, too. So... My wife and I will be doing early voting this week. We're gonna we're gonna go. We're gonna do it in person. Um, we're gonna get the goddamn sticker, and we're gonna vote the bastard out. Yay! Do that. Yeah, do that if you can. It's just if you can't, there's still plenty of options. That's the good thing about mail-in voting. And hopefully, this is not a complete disaster where they try to say things like, "Oh, you didn't fill it in correctly, so we couldn't count your vote." I bet you thought we were gonna be jokey with that, Amelia. Nope. Now is not the time for jokes. We are going no to jokes. talk seriously about voting. This is 100% serious. Do it. Do your part. All right, number two. Number two. This is much more lighthearted. This is from Mama Monagle, and she would like to update everyone on her 30 Days of Halloween Marathon, who, by the way, I'm not even doing one, so respect on your mom for doing a 30 Days of Halloween Marathon and, like, beating the horror critics at this game. But two quotes. My favorite horror film so far is Dr. Sleep. I love the closure it gives to Danny and The Shining. House of the Devil is another favorite, along with Ghost Ship and Aliens. So I posted this on Twitter not that long ago, but my mom always does 30 days of Halloween or usually does 30 days of Halloween. And this year, I mean, she sent me the list, the stuff that she's seeking out. She is going to watch stuff like Relic. She's going to watch stuff like One One Bedroom, One BR. She's going goopy with Overlord. She has Anna and the Apocalypse on the list. She's got The Invitation, Under the Shadow, Bone Tomahawk, of course, because it's my, you know, my mom and I that I do stuff. It's just, I, I mentioned before that I get my taste in horror movies from my mother, and she is still to this day one of the most experimental watchers I've ever seen. If it looks good, if she hears a bit of buzz over it, she's gonna go seek it out. And that means that anything, like all the, the mainstream stuff and all the indie stuff, anything you can think of, she's dabbling with it. And I'm never more proud of her, proud of her all the time, but I'm never more proud of her during, than I am during October. Yeah, uh, mad respect just because of all the tweets I see online from a certain generation of horror fan who like to proclaim things like there hasn't been a good horror movie since the 90s or the 80s and, you know, modern horror is terrible, blah, blah, blah. So just straight up kudos to your mom for not being one of those uh, trash humans. Yeah, and my favorite thing about her list is she lists The Thing and then she says all of them, 1951, 1982, 2011. Good job. God bless. God bless. Amen to that. Uh, all right, should we get back to the show? Yeah, if we have to. All right, let's do it. Hey, welcome back. So you heard us talk about it and you looked at the title of the episode on your streaming platform, so you already know what it is. But today we're going to be talking about Shock em Dead, which is in 1991 genre film horror comedy kind of thing that was directed and co-written by mark freed uh it is most famous probably especially if you were a teenage boy of the era most famous for being a tracy lord's film uh but if you're a huge fan of demon wind i guess is probably the touch point that i want to use um it also stars stephen quadros it stars uh for a very short period of time aldo ray and it is about a young musician a young terrible musician who sells his soul to the devil in order to become the greatest guitar player who ever lived. Um, and this is true. They actually use one of the greatest guitar players who ever lived as his, as his double. So mm -hmm. there's actually some real good guitar playing in the film. 
but uh, he's joined by sort of his trio of, of soulless muses who have also made deals on their own terms and kind of work with him to navigate the soulless world. He does go back and join the band that he unsuccessfully auditioned for at the beginning of the movie, and they make their rise to greatness. But in order to keep his newfound guitar skills, he has to kill, kill, and kill again. Uh, if you are familiar with trauma films, you're going to recognize a lot of the same crew and cast from the bits and pieces of this. But I think this is something that uh, we shouldn't relegate just to the trauma world. I think that there's more to this movie than just exploitation. So let's start the conversation, of course, with Brianna. Why Shock Him Dead? Why is this the movie you wanted to bring to us? Okay, so this is going to make me sound really perverted and terrible, but this is the horniest of all heavy metal horror movies. And what I mean by that is Angel is a total babe. There is big haired ladies in silk lingerie all throughout the whole thing. It's goofy as all hell. The music sucks. Like I I'll give it that it's terrible. But it's just like a really fun movie, you know? There's some cool fog machine graveyard scenes. And yeah, it's just perfectly trashy. And I don't you know, know, I did. I was counting. Um, I looked down at my notepad and I'd written four, like four minutes, 23 seconds was the first time that someone took their top off. So I was like, I know exactly who the audience of this movie was at the time. Yep, there's a ton of boobs in this. And also, it's not just like taking a top off. It's a whole Porky's-esque scene where Steven Quadro's character is looking through a hole in like yes. a pizza in a pizza parlor on the wall. And that's how he's spying on the girl changing. Like, it's it's fucking insane. And that was that was also the first moment I was like, yeah, I know the exact kind of 90s movie we are watching here. And like, I, I like cracked a beer and I was like, yeah, we're ready. Yeah, he's like up on that counter. He moves the pepperoni that's hiding the peephole. And it's like, you have co-workers. Where are they? Why aren't they like, what are you doing? There's a manager there and he's using the pepperoni people. <laughs> also, Monagle, how fucking dare you take my Demon Wind reference? You didn't I, even let me have it? No, I was setting the stage for you to talk about it. When you when you suddenly at some point during us talking about Chalkham Dead spend 10 minutes talking about demon win. I wanted to set the stage for that early. So people weren't confused when it happened. Well, it's hilarious because it says introducing Steven Quadros like as his first role in shock him dead, but demon win came out in 1990 and shock him dead was 1991. So I want to know what kind of funky work is there because I know my quadros from demon wind. He's Chuck. He is the almighty magician of demon wind who turns into a shotgun blasting killer of deadite knockoffs i don't even know what to call them but i really dug shock and <laughs> like it is the exact kind of canon where comparing it to time like movies of the time uh heavy metal horror movies specifically like trick-or-treat black roses uh rock and roll nightmare it does feel the quote-unquote campiest and it does have that trauma vibe where you can tell their soundstage is just like a random room somewhere they slap some acdc posters on and everything is kind of cheap in the background but there's a lot of energy and there's a lot of just leaning into exactly the kind of sleaze that it wants to be where it comes together somehow and i say somehow because it's totally going to turn some people off and be like this is just uh, perverse garbage blah 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 chicks with tops off for no reason like why does the chick have to show her boobs when she shows her scar like all these little things they just find every reason to get girls naked but I, for the kind of late night heavy metal movie, it, it fits the vibe 100%. Totally. And there's nothing wrong with chicks getting naked. If you like heavy metal, you like boobs. It's just how it goes. It's totally fine. Like, I don't understand those complaints. I am all about it. The more boobs, the better. Give me showgirls in a heavy metal horror movie and I'm set. Well, it's even just the beginning and him getting the powers from this rock god who is standing there holding the double guitar both necks going both ways so you're playing solos with both hands it is epic level rock fantasy stuff the two girls around his legs just grabbed on and it, it is funny to see how it's played you know now you watch deathgasm and you have the same scene and it still has that same fantasy because it is forever the rock and roll fantasy and it's just so funny to see how it hasn't evolved, but like 
there's not a big deal because heavy metal's kind of forever. Totally. And I love that fantasy. Like that is my favorite part of this movie because that scene is the whole reason I wanted to see this movie because uh, Michelangelo Badio, that's him playing the double neck guitar. You know, I had heard about that. So I was like, I need to see this movie. And I couldn't find this movie for the longest time. And I think the whole like delayed gratification thing kicked in. Like I wanted it for years and then I finally got it. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the best, you know. I could say, uh, sorry, I, I want to follow up on that real quick because I, I could tell you, like, I could read the Wikipedia page and be like, oh, he's a he's a speed metal guitarist and consider one of them. But like, Brian, I want you to tell you tell people who, especially people that are music fans, why that is so important. Like, why the fact that he playing those guitar solos should matter to people who want to see the film? Because he is just iconic. He is like a pure like shred guitarist, like you know. And that's an actual icon in the film, you know, <sighs> blanking. I can't remember. I think Black Roses might have had one of the Apathy brothers. But regardless, like you see Trick or Treat, you have like cameos and stuff. But it's Ozzy playing like a preacher or Gene, a DJ. But this is actually Badio playing guitar. And he does all the hand um parts throughout the movie he plays angel's hands and you actually are watching him shred like that's a big deal you know like if you're a guitar nerd watch this movie because it shows everything which is just impressive you know they could have easily just did cutaway scenes of his face or whatever and called it a day but like they didn't and i think that really made the movie now i was gonna say uh i've watched youtube cli uh, clips of michelangelo because i am a guitar nerd there's two guitars hanging on my wall and it's just like that is it's God level. You watch him play and talking about he is the hands of Stephen Quadros's rock God. And it doesn't look real. It doesn't look like it should be playing actual notes. But the way Michelangelo can just rip a solo on the fly, finger tapping, not even like no pick, just throw the pick away. He's either finger tapping or he's going with like tremolo and he's going under over to play the solo. And what I mean by that is he's literally flipping his hand from under the neck of the guitar to over the neck like between notes it's stuff that shouldn't be humanly possible but the fact that they committed so hard to actually having a it's, he's a rock icon i mean you look at him and paul gilbert and go down the list like there are so many of these shred guitarists who will just blow your mind with this kind of work and the fact that they got him just to get in the movie at all and not only just play the songs and write the songs but also play on camera I, it adds that authenticity and also, it makes it even better when you cut back to Steven Quadros's face. And the cuts are so beautiful because you're watching Michelangelo play and it's basically from the neck down. And then you cut back to Quadros's face and he's making the most like never played a guitar in his life faces ever. And the juxtaposition of both of those back to back is it's it is hilarious. <laughs> It is really funny. And that actually just made me think this movie almost feels like a dash of like spinal tap. Like it almost feels like it's mocking stuff. And uh, like Quadros, he's just obnoxious in his imitation of all these hair metal dudes. And the thing is, he was a musician and he was in a band called Snow with uh, Carlos Cavazzo, who was in Quiet Riot. He was their guitar player. So when he got the gig with shock I'm dead to play angel. He was like, well, I'm, I know all these guys. I'm just going to like mock them to the nines, which he did. And it's so funny to watch, especially if you're like a hair metal fan. Cause it's just ridiculous. You know, I was going to say too, it's funny with the quiet riot reference, because I thought of the, uh, the cover where in, in the mental institution and you have like the mask on the face and that looks just like the, the mask that Quadros is wearing in his coming of rock iconacy when he gets the powers. I like, I just had like that funny, hilarious little bit of like, that looks exactly like right off a quiet riot album cover. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I'm kind of disappointed that this movie isn't the secret origin of Tenacious D because like everything that they're talking about, like this is this is that story, right? Like this is this is should have been a companion piece to Pick of Destiny, even though that movie's pretty fucking. Oh my god, it's not terrible. <laughs> I was gonna say I love Pick of Destiny. Fuck you. I I I love a lot of Pick of Destiny. I really don't love a lot of other parts of Pick of Destiny. 
the uh, the double guitar. So when Kyle Gass has the, has the lady guitar, mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. it's the, it's the spread legs. I had that exact imagery flash the minute you cut to Michelangelo as as the demon and he's playing the two. I'm just like, wait, is this the pick of destiny? That is actually such a genius connection that I've never thought about until right now. Like, yeah, it's the same movie. <laughs> it's it's almost the same movie, just minus Sasquatch. <laughs> Which is a pretty big, it's a pretty big thing to cut out, unfortunately. You cut out John C. Riley, you're having a bad yeah. time. <laughs> but yeah, it's, you know, it, it is. I, I like that. So, listen, this this is, we talk on the show a lot. There are Donato movies and there are Monaco movies. This is a Donato movie. And the more exciting thing is not when we figure out who the movie's for, but if the other person kind of follows along. And I found myself being kind of won over by Shock Em Dead for a variety of reasons, um, one of which is definitely the fact that they're actually playing. You know, you watch so many musical biopics over the years, and it's especially egregious, I think, when you're when you're looking at uh, uh, p- movies about piano players, pianists, because they're always just like they cut to that like over the top of the piano shot where they're you know their hands are doing whatever they're doing in absence of the screen, and you're like you're not you're not actually playing this at all. Um, it's hard. It's hard. I have just enough like guitar skills from when I was in high school not to be able to play anything, but to recognize the fact that there's a lot of stuff going on there that's actually happening in real time. And when you can see that, when you can see like these songs, good or bad, are being played the way that they're being played on screen and on the soundtrack, you're like, that's a degree of authenticity that I did not expect a movie like Shock I'm Dead to have. And it's, it's almost like the songs in this film don't deserve to have as good of guitar playing that they have. Because I mean... There's the Virgin Girl song, and then the other one's literally called I'm in Love with a Slut. And they're terrible. They're terrible songs, but the solos are unreal, which I think makes it hilarious. So it just adds to the whole like horror comedy aspect of it. I think that goes to what you were saying before about it becoming a parody, because mm-hmm. that was kind of the genre they're quote unquote riffing off of. Uh, if you think back to the song like Unskinny Bot by Poison is literally just uh brett michaels and the guitarist cc deville i think is the name Uh, yeah so it's literally them there was a girl in the room and they were both trying to impress her so cc's just doing whatever he can on the guitar and you know make himself look good and michaels just starts singing something so it's like it didn't matter what either of them were doing but they still made a song somehow out of the most bullshit reason and i think that's 100 percent what this movie is kind of saying by yeah that version song is so laughable and it's kind of like anti what heavy metal even stood for at the time like yeah don't have sex before marriage stay a virgin blah 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 and then all of a sudden you know obviously quadros is uh, you know angel martin comes in and just starts shredding and starts then talking about deflowering the virgin because this is metal this is what we do but i think it's a parody i think i think all of that is actually in there specifically and not just random i think it's meant to say like no yeah a lot of these songs were just about fucking didn't really matter because here's a cool guitar solo absolutely and it has to be a parody because when like quadros finally performs did y'all get a kick out of when he just immediately pukes on that chick's tits after he's done singing because i died it's so funny. <laughs> it's like, it's not even like a stage thing. He just pukes and they just move on. Like there's no moment of like, oh, did that just happen? Like somebody says it, but they're like, it's brilliant. It's genius. And it's like, that's, that's metal, I guess. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going all in on the, on like the parody bit too, because the movie literally opens with a bad cover of Purple Haze. Uh, and it's kind of like, how can you, if, if that's the way you're going to open the movie uh, with your, cover band playing one of the most iconic guitar songs of all time. Like you have to, you have to be in on the joke a little bit here, right? Like you have to be kind of saying like, listen, this is we're we're, we're doing this. We're not doing this hundred percent seriously. So it's okay because they do that. Like they have purple haze multiple times throughout the movie. And you're just like, what are you guys, what are you doing? Okay. Like, garage band. I actually have something to say about purple haze. Do y'all know who winger is? Yes. Okay. So Winger on their second album, or maybe it was their first, I can't remember. They covered Purple Haze and it was terrible. And I swear to God, the the spastic colon cover of Purple Haze in this movie makes like, no, that's not what I'm going to say. The one in the movie is better than Winger's cover. So (laughs) like when we all, 
would get finished up with this, go listen to that cover, and then, yeah, it's unreal. So it's not the first time that song has been bastardized by a metal band. I can't imagine there being a worse cover of Purple Haze than the one that, that spastic colon attempts. Yeah, Winger did it dirty. It's not good. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like a cover guy, so that's kind of my jam. So I need to go listen to that after just so I never have to listen to it again. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to talk about one of the other things in the movie that that really works um, for me in a way that I was kind of surprised. Because, you know, all right, so... Angel Martin wakes up after he's sold his soul during kind of this cool uh, voodoo inspired dream sequence or fantasy sequence. And there's just three half naked women in his house that are just sort of like, this is your life now. And the characters of Michelle, Marilyn and Monique, I thought when they were first introduced, I thought that like, oh, they're going to be, you know, this is going to be kind of annoying. He's got like these three fawning women that are just there to be his servants and it kind of transitioned to this place where they're like, they've also sold their souls for various reasons. And so they just sort of have like this uncomfortable roommate situation going on between the four of them. And that stuff was hysterical. I'd love, like I wanted a whole movie out of Michelle, Marilyn and Monique, like living their life in between people that drop in because they want to be rock stars. Totally. Like a really like twisted kind of threes company deal. Cause the bits when they screwed up, like, was hilarious like what are we gonna do with the body like it's so funny and like yeah that actually i would have loved more banter between them i definitely think they were a highlight of the film as well yeah and there's just a degree of of absolute like it's it's all played pretty much straight and matter of factly they're like oh we killed a cop where do we put him like none of that the fact that it is played so straight in those scenes is what makes it funny and it's another one of those decisions when you think of these films and again you know you're using trauma as a reference using vhs early 90s stuff as a reference you're you're thinking of demon wind these are not movies that are going to play elements of their story straight and the fact that they played this roommate situation straight it was a good choice and it was not the first good choice the movie made. <laughs> I love the one line. I, I bark laughed in my apartment. I like, I couldn't even hold it in. Uh, Angel Martin calls up at the end and I forget which of his roommates will call them. Uh, answer the phone, but he's kind of like, Oh yeah. You also have to get my snake out of the jacuzzi. And it just cuts to the girl on the phone and she goes, ew. And then it cuts back. Like that's it. She doesn't have anything else, but ew in that moment. I, it is so perfectly like slapstick from a sitcom standpoint. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, you know, Angel has already killed multiple people. And we know it, that kind of dark vibe is already there. So then when you insert this kind of homemaker kind of housewife moment of like, ew, I'm not going to do that. I, I was like, this movie is just ludicrous. I'm like, I don't even know what I'm watching at this point, but I'm so into it. Yeah, but I love the scene where um, a little earlier where... <laughs> Uh, Monique has invited somebody over because she's feeling like takeout. And so like the whole point of Angel is to sort of coerce the woman because she's supposed to be coded as sort of a groupie. And he just like, he's reading his newspaper and like, uh uh-huh, that's nice. As she's like, oh, we're gonna have a great time tonight. And then just without even looking, like reaches in and hands the knife to Monique as she's walking up to kill this girl. I was like, this is this is a weird domestic comedy. Like I'm, I, it's, it's yeah, it, it was just that whole sequence was some of the, all all of that, whenever they're in the apartment is some of the sharpest writing of the film, I think. And it's, you know, it's almost a kind of disappointing when they go back to the rock star stuff. Cause you're like, no, these characters, I want to see them bounce off each other a little bit. I'm sorry. Did you say he was reading a newspaper? Because I can tell you that angel Martin, sorry, I wrote this down in my notes was reading a cooking light magazine Correct. with like cupcakes on the front. And that's what he's reading as someone is trying to get murdered in his full hair metal getup. And he can't even eat because that's the whole point of the character. Yeah. So exactly. That's the whole point of the cooking light. He's literally like, that's his playboy. His playboy is a cooking magazine because spoiler alert, his one thing that the voodoo uh, enchantress has, his curse will say is that he's given everything he wants, but he can no longer consume human food. It turns toxic and he will die. So yes, literally, you know, a Martha Stewart magazine with the recipes in it would be his pornography. Yeah, totally. I love that he can't eat anything. Like, I love that just food kills him because there's one bit after he robs the pizza joint when he, like, goes back to his house and everybody's partying. They're like, Angel, you want a slice? He's like, no, man, I'll have one later. It's like, that's what my mom used to tell me to do if, like, somebody offered me drugs. (laughs) Like, I'm good for now. I'll get it later, you know? And for him, it's a pepperoni pizza. Totally. 
No. And I mean, again, just going back to the authenticity really quickly, I just thought about rock and roll nightmare. And I think this is the right one I'm thinking of where uh, John Michael Thor is kind of like a musician and he has this talent and he surrounds himself with actors who are so clearly not playing their instruments. And I know this is a tangent, <laughs> but it like just came to me. And I'm, I'm now watching those scenes next to Michelangelo in shock of dead actually shredding on the guitar and like that's such a frustration for me watching the scenes where where even shock of dead where you see steven quadros just plucking random strings on the guitar in the minuscule moment that he has to just be on screen um it, it's it's my biggest pet peeve when you watch a, a musical movie where instrument playing is in there and it's like did you even get somebody that can even tr- attempt to play it like you look to the drummer in Rock and Roll Nightmare, and I think he went, might have been okay, but there's one point where there's a, a like a solo being ripped, and the guitarist is playing chords, and you're like, "Isn't there anything here where you can do? Like, can't you just attempt to even play strings versus the chord?" Yeah. So that, again, like just to reiterate, that came to me right now, but it's it's such a big thing where you can have someone like Michelangelo just doing the damn thing on camera. Well, I wanna, I'm gonna. Tangent again, sorry, Donato. Um, but I want to ask you guys. I want to ask you guys about kind of a character switch that they do between Greg and Angel, and how you're kind of setting up in the beginning because Angel's this this nerdy guy that works at a pizza place who peeps on folks through the wall and plays a really terrible guitar solo during his audition. I love that too. Um, but he's kind of coded as like this this victim, right? And that he's going to get this power, and you think about 30 minutes in the way into the movie, it's going to be like, all right, he gets everything he wants. He finds out he doesn't want it. And then you have to, then he has to figure out a way to break the devil's contract. And instead, no, he's just kind of an asshole, spoiler alert for the rest of the film um, until he gets killed, spoiler alert again. And the kind of the hero, the heroes of this movie are Greg and Lindsay, the Tracy Lord's character. How do we feel about the fact that they, they kind of set this up where you're, you feel like you might be rooting for Angel and then he just sort of sucks for the rest of the film. Well, hot take, I think Greg sucks too because of course. Greg reminds me of pretty much every man I've dated where you're like, oh, like a career in music isn't lucrative. Here's a really good job opportunity. And then they're like, no, babe, I'm not going to do construction. I'm going to make it big. And then it's like they're playing like, school dance halls they're cheating on you with groupies and then all of a sudden his girlfriend's hanging out with angel and then he's flipping out he's showing up at the dude's house like it's all toxic it's all not good so i understand like like i know angel's bad but i still was rooting for him and i know i shouldn't but also he has better hair than greg so that kind of sways me a little bit too but no, I was going to say, Greg has a huge uh, Scott Stapp vibe going on. He's got that hair that kind of just goes around his face and like frames his face and it's all flowy. And I just, I just never liked him from the start. He even has like a cross necklace, I think, that he's wearing. Yeah. I guess is the symbolism of the quote unquote hero. But yeah, like I didn't really, there are a lot of characters I just didn't really give that much of a crap about. You know, there's little things that you throw aside, like did we have to have the moment where the lead singer is like shooting up in the bathroom? Like I was waiting for that to play into something, but it doesn't. And there, there are a few choices that I'm kind of like interesting. I don't hate this person anymore or like them anymore. They're just kind of nobody. Cause I'm here just to see angels. I wanted a little bit of a redemptive moment. I'll be honest. Maybe where he realizes at the end that he has been a shit bag the entire movie. And there could be something more to this whole selling your soul thing, but Hey, I'll take his head exploding in a practical effect. Well, Johnny, if Johnny doesn't do heroin in the bathroom, that syringe doesn't come into play at the very end. So it's a very that's a good point. That's a very important setup. It is Chekhov's vial of heroin. It is Chekhov's vial of heroin. But can we like talk about the heroin thing for a minute? Because that doesn't make sense at all. <laughs> yeah, it came out of nowhere. I was like, wait, what the fuck? And it's stage fright. So you take heroin. I mean, we've, like, raise your hands if you haven't done that. Okay, I've never like I I've never done heroin, but I'm pretty sure it's a downer. That I I was thinking like Coke would be his thing because he immediately well, yeah. got like super speedy and super up upbeat and just comes out like literally swinging. He just comes out dancing on stage, and you're like, well, he yeah, also I, no, he also had half of one beer, guys. Like, come on, I don't. Right. I, I why do I have to keep explaining it? He did all of the heroin and then half half of one beer, so they balanced out, and he's fine. Was it a beer or was it a Coca-Cola? Because I think I wrote down <laughs> that it was a Coca-Cola because I was like, maybe it balanced out. I don't know. 
Yeah, half of a sugary Coca-Cola balanced out that whole syringe of heroin. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I I honestly that is again, I have I have never done heroin nor will I, but I assumed it brought you down from everything I've ever seen in another movie where there's a heroin den and people are just laying around and that that was an odd odd choice uh by the filmmakers, but agreed monocle, it does put the needle there. So at least, yes, I, I meant for the character. I knew right, it played right. obviously in the third, the third act, but Johnny was quite, quite the character out there. Yeah. He was something. Yeah. So, I mean, let's talk about, let's talk about um, here at the end uh, uh, about some of the, the murder horror stuff too. Right. Cause we always say like, there's going to be, this movie is going to be attractive to a metal audience for the same reason that Brianna said, because you've got like, it is a metal heavy metal horror film. It has a real rock and roll legend that is actually participating on some level. So that's going to send some people um, to Flixer's way or whatever the fuck the name of that app was. Some people are going to sling Flixer's. Some people are going to come check that out. Um, but what about the people that are that are kind of just like going for those VHS nasties of the period or like trying to find the, the home video stuff? You know, are, is there enough here to keep the horror fans satisfied? Is there enough like... DIY special effects and gross kills, as you alluded to earlier, Donato, that you think horror fans are going to have a good time with this one? I think that it will be a tad bit of a struggle for some because the kills do pull away. There's this one really egregious fade to black moment where we don't get to see Johnny's death. We get to see Johnny surprised by Angel Martin, who is standing over him in, in like a warehousey kind of dealy scenario. And then it just fades to black and you see Angel Martin then walking back into like the auditorium and he's like, hey guys, I'm back. And you know he's just committed to murder, but we don't get to see any of it. So there's once or twice where we get some practical effects going on, but largely it is bloodless and more comedic where the gore hounds, I think, might be left feeling for something else. But I mean, if you're into heavy metal, though, I think that trumps it. I think this is way more of a heavy metal film where... Yes, some deathgasm gets both right. I love it for that exact reason because it is like Sam Raimi practical effects vibes and it also goes with the metal very hard. I don't think you always need to do that because the vibe and the tone that this is selling and the vibe and the tone that Shockham Dead is employing throughout the entire film, it, it hits that right. And more gore would have been amazing, but for what we get, I'm kind of okay with what we have. Yeah, I think that's made it pretty well. Like... There isn't a lot of gore, but the thing that I think it has going for it, it definitely doesn't drag. Like, I think the storyline is fairly, like, even, where you will be entertained throughout. You won't see a lot of stuff, but it's just such a bonkers and weird movie that it'll hold your attention if you like, like, horror comedies. It kind of felt at times like a Steel Panther video, especially (laughs) the very first scene where he becomes Angel Martin and he wakes up in his bed and he sees the women around him. It literally has that vibe where one of his roommates again walks over to a closet and is just like, here's all your new wardrobe. It'll fit perfectly. And it's just a closet full of leather. And it just had that vibe of a Steel Panther video where you know what you're here for. And again, would I have loved some goopy ass kills? Would I have loved some like daggers into bodies that like pull them apart versus just a quick stab that you don't see because they don't even have the budget for fake blood of course but for what they do pull off and for what they have they're able to accentuate the things that heavy metal fans are going to be there for and they're able to accentuate the music and the guitar playing and the things that you do want to see so it's a trade-off i think I, again, I do think some horror fans that are in for a particularly gruesome time might be a little left in the dark and might, you know, want something else at the end of it. But no movie's ever going to please everybody. Yeah, and I can't pretend to be an expert in L.A. house prices, but I would be more upset watching this about the fact that somebody sold their soul to the devil and got like kind of a nice apartment. I guess there's a hot tub. That was the part that was most egregious to me is like, if you're going to sell your soul to the devil, what is with that house? That's not a, I mean, that's, you know, I have seen the most no budget movies where somebody's uncle or somebody's dad or, you know, a co-friend of a producer was able to lend their mansion for this. And it was just like, you see that and you always think, how do they get those really nice houses in the film? So I kind of respect Shockham Dead for just being like, this is the nicest house we could get. It's okay. Listen, even the devil is a budget man in LA. LA real estate I, yeah, ain't no, cheap, buddy. 
I, I hear, I hear you. I hear you. I just appreciate it. I appreciated that. It's, it was one of those pet peeves that I didn't even realize until I was watching the film. All right. Last question though. Um, you know, we like to end talking about how some of these movies that we discuss will find their way back into an established canon. So, um, Brianna, I want to start with you. Like, how does this film be on par with the Demon Winds of the World? How does this kind of gain a cult following and becomes one of those movies that people like talk about and be excited? Like, what would it take? Is it a nice home video release? Is it like a couple of champions? Is there a place for it as a repertory screening at a major festival? What do you think? I don't know. That's always tough. Um, for me, like just word of mouth throughout the metal community more than anything. Like I haven't seen a lot of love for this in the horror community as much as I have in the metal community. And it's just one of those things where if you know about it, you know, and then you like my favorite way to introduce people to this film is to get like a group of people together when we're, whenever we're allowed to do that again and just show them it throw it on crack some beers and just watch it have a good time um maybe a screening of it would be fun but i don't know i don't know if that draw is there i don't know what it would take to be honest yeah it's not actively available on many places to watch mr monocle as you've alluded to it's only on that one street what is it flickster i don't know i downloaded the app and it crashed every time that i tried to watch the movie so i like hold on you can watch, if you are so inclined, you can watch Shock 'em Dead on the Flix Fling, which is definitely a real service that definitely exists. But again, the fact that we're saying it like that, it pretty much states how hard it is to find at this point. And uh, just like you're saying about heavy metal fans being more into this than horror fans, I think that goes back to exactly what I was saying. It's, it's a much more of a metalhead movie. So for the horror community to actually get into it, I, I think it needs to be paired. Give it a night where you play even three of the big uh or actually two additional of the big ones and you sandwich shock them dead in there so maybe you do like rock and roll nightmare sandwich shock them dead in there and then throw like black roses on and you have that kind of feeling of seeing it in context with other heavy metal horror movies and seeing that vibe and kind of getting that energy i think that would be a great way to re- rediscover it and try to get more people into it definitely that's actually like yeah, that would probably be the best way to go about it because Trick or Treat has a pretty large following. I mean, like Black Roses, even Rocktober Blood does. But for some reason, this movie doesn't, you know? So yeah, definitely like just sandwiching it in with other movies in the same vein would probably be the best course of action for sure. And that's also a great way to do some retrospective stuff for if you could get into a theater somehow when theaters are a thing that we can go back to like safely playing it alone is one thing. But again, when you can throw it with something else, that's more notable, you draw the tickets with one title and then you show them something else that they're going to love and they just don't know it yet, but you do need the draw to be there in that initial moment. So you need that, or you need the advocation of, you know, when I go to fantastic fest, there's always a arrow video resurface or something that they bring, but you have arrow videos name or you have Scream Factory's name, if you're able to get that kind of release for it, that also gives it that kind of accreditation, I guess I would say, which it sucks. I mean, everything needs an endorsement now. You don't, we're not just discovering things unless someone on Twitter that you follow has dug it up and it gains a following, something of that nature. So for something like Shock 'em Dead, someone puts it in a Tracy Lorge retrospective. I don't know, something of that nature. <laughs> I was going to say, when Donato, you get off your ass and do that Stephen Quadros retrospective at the Museum of the Modern Art, this, you, will, be, this will be one of them. You joke. You joke, Monogle, but there I will never, be a day I never where joke. I am hosting at least a screening of Demon Wind somewhere. I never joke about your love for Demon Wind. All right. Well, there you go. Coming soon to a Donato-fueled retrospective near you. It is Shock and Dead. Brianna, I, first I want to say thank you for coming and, you know, talking about this film, sharing a bit about your history, letting Donato get to talk about metal with somebody, which is not something that ever happens on this show. Um, and I want to give you an opportunity to kind of promote your work too. So, you know, if people, if people liked what they heard, if they want to read more of the stuff that you're putting on your website or some of the freelance stuff that you're doing, what are the best places? Where should they follow you on social media? Um, Twitter is probably my biggest. So it's Briannimator, which is B-R-E-A-N-N-A-I-M-A-T-O-R. 
And then for my work, it's just heavyhorror.com. That's where I post pretty much everything. So yeah, pretty much just those two sources. Awesome. Donato, uh, the next time you talk about Demon Wind, how do people make sure that they're there? You can follow me at Donato Bomb on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Instagram. And I will post all of my articles because I've realized at this point when I say I'm writing somewhere and we post these episodes three months later, I might not be writing for there anymore. So at this point, I'm just going with the socials. Donato Bomb, Twitter, Letterboxd, Instagram. Be there. As for myself, uh, you can follow me on social media. Twitter basically is the best at Labsplice, L-A-B-S-P-L-I-C-E. I've written for a bunch of different sites. Tomorrow morning, I'll have written a piece on drive-ins for Eater Austin, which is kind of cool. So you can go check that out if you want. Um, Otherwise, you know, visit our website. Go visit www.certifiedforgotten.com twice a week, um, twice a week as of this writing, hopefully more in a couple of months. You know, we are putting out a lot of really interesting criticism on a lot of really good films that people wouldn't otherwise talk about. So if you're one of those folks that always says, oh, I wish somebody would write about this. Guess what? We're writing about that. Go click on it. God damn it. I'm being very Listen to our podcast. God damn it. Yeah. Leave us a fucking review. God damn it. But they're already listening if they're listening to this. So I don't, we shouldn't yell at them. We should thank them for listening to it. Thank you for listening. Please leave us a review. Brianna, it was so nice to have you on the show. We'll be sure the next time we have a rock and roll horror movie in our sites, we'll be sure to make sure you're the guest for it. Definitely. Thanks for having me. And I'm so relieved you liked it. I was a little nervous about it. So, <laughs> no, Donato was always going to love it. It was it was only ever me. And I, 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 you don't need to worry about me for these types of films. I'm glad I liked it too, but I should never be your target audience. <laughs> okay, good to know. Donato, take us off. Steven Quadro. <laughs> <laughs>